Welcome to the Just Larson Show on Innovation and Leadership. I'm really excited for our annual interview with Joe Pelletti. Um, if you don't know Joe, uh, I rave about his books. My favorite is Epic Contact, or my favorite is Killing Marketing. And uh, this year, though, I've recommended Content Inc. like crazy. Uh, excited, though, the next edition of Epic Content Marketing is, is coming out this March 2023. Um, Joe's really well known for building the Content Marketing Institute from zero to, uh, to sale a, a, a short while ago for almost $30 million, uh, advised most of the Fortune 100 on content marketing and people all around the world, and we feel lucky to get him back again. Joe, thanks for doing this. Jess, it's an honor. It's, it is interesting. This is, I think, our third. So we're, we're really starting to move here through the, through the process. It's, but we only talk during these podcasts, which is a shame. But I like to get your, so we can talk about my update, but I like to get your update, but, but just always happy to be here and happy to talk leadership, innovation, growth, all that good stuff. Well, I feel like we talk more because your podcast, uh, both, both the tilt, but, is, but um, this old marketing is the show I listen to more than any other show ever. Oh, thank you. So I that's feel like the, I get to hear from you. Uh, and uh, that's, a, that's a good part. It's, you know, it's so funny. I was talking with, so Robert and I, Robert Rose is my co-host on that. We just celebrated our 10th year of doing wow. that. And then we were saying, okay, well, that's 360 hours of time that people have wasted, <laughs> that they've listened to this. And then we were going through, how much time have you done? And not, so we're like, it's a thousand hours that just kind of, I hope that we're providing value, but it's, it's amazing how long we've been doing that show now. And made so many friends along the way. And by the way, just for those people listening, the power, of course, people listening to this already know the power of podcasting, but it is amazing the change when we started doing that podcast. Because when I used to go out speaking, it'd be like, Joe, love your book. Joe, love the newsletter. Soon as the podcast came out, everything was Joe, love the podcast. That was like 99% of the people coming up to me. So it is amazing how intimate uh, and powerful the medium can be. So what I like about the Tilt Show and 10K Creator is they're like very practical, very tangible if, if you're in the space yourself. But what I think I love about this old marketing is if you're maybe running more of a mid-sized business or a bigger business, you know, I used to run an investment fund. We're going back to doing that again. I feel like it's almost like your book's applied. You know, in, in this old marketing, you guys are saying Apple just did this, TikTok just did that. What does that mean? What do you think? Here's the hype. What do you think is really in? Oh, I just had a private conversation with somebody at a Fortune 100 company and here's what's actually going on. And I, I think it's like, I think what I like about it is, again, I've listened to your books multiple times on Audible, but the podcast is like the application. It's, it's like this consistent real world application, small, simple tweaks. And what about this? And what if you thought about that different? And, and uh, anyways, I feel like it's really helpful for the rest of us. You know, it's funny. I don't know if we talked about this before, but we totally stole that show format off of Pardon the Interruption from ESPN. That was the, the model because Robert, this was in 2012, 2013, Robert Rose and I got on the phone and we talked for an hour about all the stuff that you're talking about, like what Apple's doing and this. And we said, we should have recorded a podcast. I said, if we're going to do a podcast, you need to have a format. What's the, so the format was based on pardon the interruption. So we took three, four, five news articles and we both gave our takes on it and we did rants and raves. That's been the same model that we've had for the show for the last 10 years. It's amazing. But that's, so that would be my recommendation to anybody thinking about a podcast. There's so many of these things that just, oh yeah, this is our format. This is our format. But you, you really need to think about, okay, who's the guest? How are you going to make an impact? What questions do you ask? I mean, you've, we've talked about this before. 
instead of just a lot of people that give up with podcasts, they're like, oh, I really needed to have like a format. And yes, you do. You absolutely do. I, I totally endorse that. You know, this show was basically just the Tim Ferriss show. Like, you know, almost seven years ago when we started it, um, I was like, I like the Tim Ferriss show. Let's do one like that. And I was basically the front of the puzzle box. And I, I still describe the show as it's like the Tim Ferriss show, but worse. Well, can you talk, you've, you've written other books, obviously, but can we talk about the difference between um, Epic Content Marketing, which second edition here, it, March 2023, uh, Content Inc. and Killing Marketing, in your mind, how you, how you differentiate between specifically those three? Absolutely. So, so Epic Content Marketing, that's the second edition coming out. I wrote this one with Brian Piper, who's amazing. He teaches at the University of Rochester really big in data analysis, data visualization. And we wanted to put together a second edition and we, we needed to add things like AI content, uh, Web3. So we had to update it because the old version of Epic Content Market 10 years ago, lots happened in 10 years. But basically, if you want the textbook on what content marketing is and how to create a content marketing strategy, that's Epic Content Marketing, no doubt about it. And you're, you can be any size business, but it's probably geared for somebody that has employees, you have some size business and you have a complex content challenge. That's Epic Content Marketing. Content Inc. is if you are a solopreneur and you're trying to do this on limited budget and probably your time, that's Content Inc. And so that's how you build your audience and then you monetize that audience. Killing Marketing is has a flavor of Epic Content Marketing in it, but it basically talks about how you create a profit center or why you should create a profit center from your marketing. And a lot of people think I'm blasphemous when I say this, but I've always believed and still do that your marketing department in and of itself can throw off cash. It doesn't have to be an expense. Of course, we want marketing to deliver on our goals. We want more customers, we want more prospects. We want to sell uh, more services. We want better loyalty. We want better yield on our customers. That's great for, for content marketing. But I also feel that you can generate sponsorships and you can do event profitable events like HubSpot's doing, like Salesforce is doing. Um, like Red Bull's doing, which if you look at Red Bull Media House, what's more valuable, Red Bull Media House or Red Bull, the drink company? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, if, I wish I could figure that out because Red Bull Media House is very val valuable, billion dollar company, just in of itself. But we don't look at that because we just think about Red Bull, the energy drinks company. So these are things, those are the three differences, a little bit different feel, but the new one coming out, if you need a content marketing strategy, it's, it's epic content marketing. You know, I, I think about killing marketing, like when, when I'm recommending it to people and I'm plagiarizing you, what I tell people is stop paying so much to be on the media, become the media. And, and I think what I love about that book is it, it lets me push people on this idea that content marketing shouldn't be measured in how many posts you got out. You know, it should be like, did it work? And so like, for me, what's great about killing marketing is like, the standard is, is your advertisement so good that other people want to advertise on your advertisement? Like, like, can you literally compete with the mainstream media? That's the standard, not did a 23-year-old intern make enough Facebook posts this week? That's, that's such a powerful point, especially, I mean, now I'm in, you know, with the tilt and the new business and creator economy expo or event, we're focusing on what I call content entrepreneurs. These are business people that are leading content first. So they are bloggers and podcasters and YouTubers and whatever. We're all, we're competing with each other. 
it's all a bunch of content clutter out there. How are you going to break through? So you're not, you can't just look at your competitive set anymore. Then you're looking at, oh, then you've got the media companies in this sector. Oh, then you've got the associations and institutions in this sector. Oh, then you got all the creators anyways that are sitting at home in their mom's basement trying to figure this thing out as well. Yep, you're competing with them too. And then Netflix and Disney Plus and everything else. So if you're going to create content, you really have to ask yourself, is, am I positioning myself as the leading expert in my niche? Like, is this the best stuff going on? And I know it's sort of egotistical to say that, but you have to be audacious about it. You have to say, look, we're doing this. We really mean business. We're going out. We put resources to it. This is the best thing we can put out today. And I would say that most businesses, when I say most, I would say 90% don't take their email newsletter seriously. They don't take their podcast seriously. They think of it, oh, it's just more stuff. And I look at it, these are the most important assets in your company. This is it. Like this could be how you go to market in a new market that you've never seen before. This is how you could stop advertising in places that you don't want to advertise anymore. This is how you could create your own event and not have to exhibit at somebody else's event. So it's just thinking a little bit differently, more like, a, as you said, like a media company does. And it's really, really important. And we're just starting now, I think, to get a lot of executives to think that way. I feel like one of your like little followers, even though you hardly know me, I feel like I follow you like crazy. And like since following you, we've got Bloomberg as a client. We've got Forbes as a client. We've we've done work for the NBC affiliate for NPR. It like kind of took some of the mystery out of it. When I like all of a sudden listening to you, I thought like, well, those are just people that started those businesses. Then we ended up getting them as clients or putting our content on their platforms and like getting to know the inside. And you're like, no, it's just it's just a business. It's not magic. You know, you just learn the patterns. Hire the right staff. Yeah, I love how you how you focus on that because I have a picture of Walt Disney's business model uh, from 1957. It's on my wall downstairs and I look at it often. And when I talk to content creators who want to be content entrepreneurs that want to build little media companies, I use that all the time. Because I said, here's Walt Disney, just trying to figure this thing out, struggling business owner. You know, you can do that. I mean, it was, it just started with him and his brother. That was it. And they had nothing. So the, po the possibilities today are even stronger because we have all these connections that we can use. We have all these social networks that we can leverage. Um, is it more competitive than ever before? Sure, it is. But you can also break through easier than ever before if you figure out what we call the content tilt. What is your differenti differentiation area? Are you willing to take a risk and say, hey, I don't have to be on every platform out there. I can focus on a couple and be great at a couple. I actually gave a presentation this morning and we were talking about like the number one thing for 2023 is to go out and kill some things. Because when I go in and I do content audits for midsize or large companies, I'll do an audit and they say, okay, Joe, you're the content guy. Give us some content ideas and give me something. And I'll say, yeah, I'll give you something. These three things over here, kill them. Get rid of them. What? What? I thought we were going to new ideas. I said, you are mediocre in everything you do. This is, by the way, this is most companies. It's not like it's broken. It's, not, it's just not doing a lot. Doing, everything's doing a little bit. So they'll do social media and e-newsletter and their own event and research and a podcast. That's just okay. It's like meh. And I said, what you want is one or two of these things to be amazing. To be when you want your, your customers to get up and say, I want that newsletter. I want to listen to that podcast. It's integral to my life in some way. So to do that, you're, and I say, are you getting more money? Are you, are you getting more budget these days? No, I'm not. Uh, are you getting cutbacks? A lot of people are feeling cutbacks. Okay, we have to be smarter. 
So maybe these two or three things you should get rid of. You take the resources and move it over to the things that are working okay. And those can be amazing in six, nine months, 12 months. So that's kind of how we're trying to get them to think. And focus is key here. I mean, if you look at the greatest media companies of all time, whether it's Disney or New York Times or Financial Times or BuzzFeed, they all started with one platform targeting one audience. And then once they build that minimum viable audience, then they go diversify. So go be great at one thing first. And then once you do that, then you can diversify and do all the things. I do feel like I've followed your advice there a little bit. We're, we've finally gotten over 800 episodes for this show and we're, we're only now getting into events. So I feel like I was like, that's one thing I did. I did. That you focused, you absolutely did. But right, isn't that, I mean, it's tough though, right? You want to do all the things. You're doing your podcast and you're like, I'm so tempted. It's so seductive to do all the things. But you're like, you know what? I know that we can be great at this and this could be our magnet for everything else we do. And then you got to that point and said, okay, now, now we can go out and start launching these things. And that's what's great about once you build an audience, because then you can just start launching all sorts of revenue opportunities because you've got this core audience and you know what they want to do? They trust you. They are loyal to you. You're indispensable. And what if they want to buy stuff from you? And so they, so they say, oh, okay, here, I'll try that. They'll be the first ones in line. And it's much easier than interrupting them with an advertisement. Not just the audience, the guests too, and the people we've worked with over time, right? And like, we've built a reputation with them. It's like th these events, we were talking for a second, I know before the show, it's like, it's like shockingly easy to get people to want to be a part of these events because they can see everything we did so far. And we, you know, we hold it like we've, we've got a certain position in their mind. And so when we say we want to do event on that same position, like it, it computes, it's not a, it's not a tough pitch. Right. Um, so let, let's do this. I've got two big questions for you today, but I want to, I want to cover this again. So quickly, um, who is CEX for, when is it and where should they buy tickets? And then who is Epic content marketing for, and, uh, and what day is that actually going to be live? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'll be brief with it. CEX is Creator Economy Expo, May 1st to 3rd, Cleveland Convention Center. Cleveland, I'm from Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio. And we are, if you are a blogger, a podcaster, a YouTuber, a consultant, a speaker, a writer, and you're looking at how do I build an audience and then take my business to the next level, that's what we're going to talk about. So we talk about the content business. We talk, we're talking about all the social channels, how you drive email subscribers, how you take your podcast to the next level. But we do it from a business standpoint. So a lot of events out there are creative only. They're like, oh, here's how you do it. We're like, here's how you run a business content first and build that audience. And there's, you know, we've got 40 of the best speakers in the world, but probably the best part about it is the networking. From last year's event we had in Phoenix, the amount of partnerships and projects that are going on between attendees is amazing and to me to see that that's the best part that they're actually seeing business and seeing revenue from that. So networking event, educational event, if you're in that position. Epic content marketing, basically, if you need to understand content marketing, you could be any size, you could be a solopreneur, or you could be a CMO at the largest company on the planet. You need to understand not only what content marketing is, but how to create a process in your organization, integrated with the rest of your marketing, so that you can build a loyal audience and then monetize that audience up to 10 different ways. And so we talk about all the stuff that would be really boring on this podcast to talk about, but the how you leverage personas and how you actually me measure this thing and which metrics to use and which metrics not to use and 
monetization strategies you never think. And we go, we go into really deep into acquisitions too this time because they're really important. We're starting to see so many companies say, hey, I've got some cash and I want to build a loyal audience. And then they find out it's going to take, you know, 12 to 24 months to really do something. And they say, oh, I'm going to go buy something. So you're starting to see companies like HubSpot go buy the hustle, uh, 1.5 million subscribers. You're seeing uh, Salesforce buy CMO Club. So you're seeing these things happen because they've got the cash and they're saying, okay, well, we're going to go buy these audiences that have been built by content creators. So we cover that a lot as well. And a, of course, the AI craze, we had to cover all that with chat GPT coming out and AI content. It's just, it, the, the space is so incredibly exciting right now. It just gets more, when you think you've hit, you've done all the things, you get a whole new wave of people coming in that want to learn this stuff. And then with AI and Web3, it just, it's, it's, it's continued to be interesting to me. And I've been doing this for over 25 years now. So you brought up something I really want to talk about. Web3, kind of like getting through the hype and thinking about, Okay, for serious business people who it's, it's more than just, I want to be seen as cool. Look, I'm doing Web3. Well, let's start with this. Definition-wise, you know, we all had blogs and our own websites at first. And then Web2, we all got Facebook and YouTube and all the, all the things, LinkedIn, right? Where those people own our audience, they own our access. And then Web3, can you talk about what counts as Web3 and in what ways it's similar or different than uh, the pre-social media gatekeeping all of our access to our people? Sure. I mean, you, you already mentioned it. Why is there a Web 3? There's a Web 3 because there was a Web 2 and you have Meta and Microsoft and TikTok that have reaped all the value from the content that we created, created from all these people on those platforms. And so Web3 is a result of how do, and I'm looking, by the way, I'm looking at it from a content creation standpoint and a business standpoint. So how do these creators make money and revenue and create assets and they're not bogged down by these Web 2.0 big social media networks taking everything and reaping all these rewards? So Web3 to me is you have a content creator that can build scarce assets, make them available in digital form sell them, make them available to an audience of super fans. And then those super fans can actually have ownership piece of that. So what does that mean? So what are you seeing there? So you're seeing a lot of musicians out there right now that are creating NFT music that people can own. So I can go out and buy a, a Drake song and spend money for it. And I get the rights to use that song for anything I want to. And I may, if he has a set up the way, that way, I may actually get royalty rights if he does something with that in the future. For like and actually get royalties. It's weird. So there's a lot of things happening, but it's basically the creator is breaking down their assets into more assets and making them available to own by somebody else. When I say super fans, this is not something where you're going to go mass market. If you're going to look mass market, that's different. That's where you use social networks. That's where you use email newsletters. It's where you've got a hundred or two hundred or five hundred or a thousand people that are willing to spend a lot more money to buy. So you're seeing it big in art. So instead of send, selling one piece of art and making it available in physical format, I might take my art and break it up into a thousand pieces. And then I could have my thousand super fans own that piece of art. And they're the only, and then they can use that art for whatever they want to. They can put it in their home. They can make posters out of it. They can create their own little side business if you give them the rights to do that. And generally that's what you see as an NFT or a non-fungible token. There's lots of other tokens out there, but generally the token is the asset, is the, is the digital means by with which its ownership is interpreted. Um, so I'll give you an example of what we did. 
for Creator Economy Expo, we created something called CEX Never Ending Tickets. So I saw what, so some people know Gary Vaynerchuk. So I saw what Gary Vaynerchuk did with VFriends. So Gary created an NFT project, very cute art project. And he sent it out to about 10,000 people or 10,000 pieces of art. As part of that, you got a ticket for three years for his event, for his VCon event. And I'm like, oh, I like that. So it's not, so I love that. It's almost an investment. I bought this NFT and then I get access to his event. And then if I want to take that ticket, I don't lose it. It's an asset. I can go sell it to somebody else if I can't make it some year. I'm, I like that. And then I said, okay, how do we take it to the next level with Creator Economy Expo? I said, let's do a never ending ticket. So we call them nets. So we sold these out. I think we've sold 63 of these things so far. And they, they cost one ETH. So right now, whatever that is, 1500, 1600 bucks. And they get never ending access to the conference as long as we do it. And we created our own private NFT community where you have to link up your own digital wallet and then you get access to a private discord and regular meetings and we're doing a book together and all kinds of stuff that you get access to because you have this token. So it's a way to, for me, as a business owner, to strip off a little bit of the assets that I have and give them the rights to do that. And what I love is my favorite thing, Jess, is that if for some reason it's not a fit anymore, they go do something else and they've got this NFT, they can go sell it to somebody else for whatever value they can get. And I'm like, I love that because in the past that they bought a membership, it's like, it's done. I can't take that membership and transfer it. So I think the future of this means you're going to see us insurance on an NFT, our medical records on an NFT. We're going to be able to port our assets, our information all over the place. I don't know where it's going to go. So right now we're at the not even 1% level of what this thing could be. We're all trying stuff. So for those of you who are skeptical, it's okay to be skeptical. I'm skeptical. I don't know where this thing is going to go, but my job is to experiment and try these things. It's worked really well for us with this NFT community. I was surprised at it. I've seen a lot of things go. So I wouldn't dismiss it if you're an executive, if you're into innovation, you should do a test project and try it. Or at minimum, go get yourself a digital wallet Go buy a cheap NFT somewhere, be a part of some community and see what's going on. Just, and so that's my number one recommendation. I would never tell anybody to start a tokenization project. I would say, go figure it out. Get your digital wallet, buy some stuff, get into a Discord community and see what's going on. That's the first thing I did. And I was like, oh, I think there's something here for your super fans, for the ones that want a little bit more than everybody else is getting. Thinking about taking advantage of the web two world without uh, suffering all the negatives. I mean, so many people have been able to see, you know, Mr. Beast, how much of his audience he's been able to translate into Mr. Beast Burger and, and buying Feastables, you know, chocolate bars at Walmart and, and like how he's been able to get that audience off of YouTube and onto paying him for real business. Um, when you think about that process of, giving the, you know, the LinkedIn's, the YouTube's, the wherever we are, giving them what they need so that they want to grow your exposure while still getting people migrated over to your email list, getting them migrated over to your, your genuine, like for-profit business. What kind of guidance do you have for navigating that balance beam? So the first, no, this is a really important question. Thank you for asking. The first thing is you have to have something that you can control. So I would say, is that an email newsletter? Is it 
a private, so that you're getting email names, opt-in email names that you have a direct relationship with the customer. That's what I'm talking about. Is it a private community? Is it an NFT community? Whatever. It doesn't matter. So you need one thing that you have because when you go out and you're on LinkedIn or you're on YouTube, you're going to be building your audience there. And that's great. And that might be the place to start. So I'm not negative against social networks. I'm just saying you've got to be careful. If you're a business owner, you have no control over the algorithm, over the data, over any, they could kick you off the platform at any point. So you've got to make sure you have something in the back that's protecting you. You're diversified in that way. So you create that YouTube channel, the call to action at the end of the day, something, hey, you want even more exclusive content? Sign up for our newsletter, sign up for our private community, those types of things. You're going to start getting your super fans and you'll see the trickle down. So if you've got 50,000 subscribers on YouTube, you'll start to say, oh, I got five, 6,000. I'll give you a little experiment. I'm, I've been really experimenting with LinkedIn, especially with, with what's happened with Twitter. I've last 60 days, I've been all in figuring out LinkedIn. So I've been posting regularly and commenting regularly on LinkedIn. And I said, okay, I didn't have a newsletter on LinkedIn. I have my own personal newsletter that, that goes to 10,000. We have our business newsletter, the tilt that goes to like 20,000. I'm like, what can we do on LinkedIn? So I created a version, every couple of week version to put on just LinkedIn. So when they go to my profile, they go ahead and subscribe to LinkedIn. And in 60 days, I've gotten 25,000 people signed up for my LinkedIn newsletter. I'm like, okay, there's something here. I would not get those 25,000 subscribers on LinkedIn to go to my directly to my email newsletter. Would not happen. But the ease of it, the fr there's no friction there. They go from comment or post for me to my profile and they click directly to subscribe. That it, now I'm saying, okay, that's not an asset. It's something. I don't know what it is. It's not a full asset yet, but now I can do things like promote Creator Economy Expo. At the bottom, I, I put a link to, if you want even more content, click here, downloadable eBooks, the ways that I can use that 25,000 and start to convert them over to build that direct relationship. So you need both, right? Where are your customers hanging out? You probably need something there. And then at the end of the day, you need something. And right now your best option is probably a, a email newsletter, it's a private membership community, like a circle or mighty networks or something like that. And then maybe in the future, if you are ready for it, some kind of web three community, but I think that's where it fits in. It's interesting the way you described that it kind of, something kind of clicked for me. I was thinking about how deceptive it is on LinkedIn when they say it's my followers or YouTube, my subscribers or something. Right. Um, but like when I listen to Mr. Beast or Gary V talk about it, like in some ways, they're like, you know, so I guess last last month, uh, Mr. Beast was also the most followed person in the world on TikTok. And in some ways, he's almost like, as you hear him talk about like the consumer products he wants to sell, it's almost like he treats it like, like a TV ad. When a company like, hey, I just need the exposure. I don't think that I now own the TV station. And like, if this turns off, we'll go do whatever's next kind of thing. And the, they, there's this mentality of like, if, if things change, I mean, Gary Vee talks about this all the time. Like he went heavy on Vine. It didn't pan out. He doesn't cry about it. He's like, it was great while it lasted for me. And now I'm on to these other things. But it's like this, like you said, it's not an asset they control, but it's almost like they bring a mentality to it of like, oh, I have to have a good enough business elsewhere because I don't control that asset or something. It's interesting. Actually, so Mr. Beast is Jimmy Donaldson. And I love Jimmy's business model for everyone listening because it talks about the most important thing and we haven't really talked about is time, is patience, is grit. So uh, Jimmy started creating videos on YouTube in 2012, I believe. 
uh, so 2012, took them about three years to like find a regular topic. So it's all over the place, just testing this thing out, creating all kinds of videos. Then figured out a regular topic by 2016 at 30,000 subscribers. So they really starting to make a hit a million in 17. So you see, it took them three years, three, three, four years of regular posting now is worth a hundred million dollars, probably more than that, probably billion dollar brand at this point. I, I gave that speech this morning I was talking about. And I said, in the next five years, I think Mr. Beast's brand will be top five in the world from a value standpoint, uh, because he understands what you said. He started with one platform. That's all he focused on, didn't focus on anything else. And then said, oh, and then I'm going to add Twitter because he can. He had the audience and then he could diversify out. That's the media model. You start with one thing first, you're great at it. Then you diversify out. Now he's doing all the things. He's got his production team doing the TikToks on Instagram and everything that flows into his regular series that he has on YouTube, which flow into owned products and services that he directs people to. And by the way, when he does that, whenever, whenever you buy, it's online. If you buy Mr. Beast Burger, you know who gets that data? Mr. Beast. <laughs> He's getting all that data. It's wonderful. Um, so the, it's, it's almost a flawless system that he set up now because if YouTube does shut down, He's got all the direct relationships now. So that's ultimately what we want to do. We can all learn from, from Jimmy. It's, I'm amazed that he's been able to do this. But again, he did four years of really, really hard work with nothing to show for it. And most people give up. Most companies, most content marketers, most content entrepreneurs don't make it that far. Generally, two to three years, they give up. And they, they're right at that point where they're just about to see hockey stick growth, but they don't get that far. Well, and I think one more thing on his story is he wasn't just doing it. Like he was a devotee. I mean, he was such a student when you hear him talk about like just the obsession of the craft and constant analyzing of what everyone else is doing and constant thinking about what he's going to do to improve. And like I look at my early years podcast, he wasn't like that for me. I was busy running my other businesses with consulting practice and stuff. And this was like this like side project on the fund. It was like a hobby to meet people I wish I knew, you know? And, and, um, it's like, I don't actually compare my first years to his years. When you, when you look at like what a student of the game he was, right. And so like patience, but also like, um, horsepower, like he was putting his focus in, like now that, now that our thing has gotten to a certain level, we're actually going like, oh my gosh, we need to bring that level of intensity to our sports here. And, uh. Anyways, it's, it's the quality of those years too, right? <laughs> Not just the quantity. Yeah, I would totally agree. Focus is big. I mean, I'm okay with people that do the side hustle thing because I understand it. I know we've got bills to pay. Somebody's got a regular job. They're doing things at night and writers do this a lot. I, I totally get it. I mean, we do what we have to do to survive. But if you're really serious about it, and this is something you really believe that you can do, which you should, because anybody can do it. We all have an expertise just depends on what it is. The best thing to do is like my wife and I, we, it would be called the, the bologna and ramen noodle years. We cut our expenses down to almost nothing. We stopped taking vacations. We went to one car. Um, it's, it's not a sacrifice for some people, but for us it was. And we did all the things so that we could survive on almost nothing until we got, it took us four years. So I didn't think we were going to make it. I always said, oh, we're failing. We're failing. It's not going to 2007. And we hit it in 2011. And then once it went, and then, every, then I knew I'm like, oh my God, I don't have to go look for a job. I mean, like we, this is a thing. And then we sold in 2016, as you said, in the beginning of the program. 
but it takes time to do that. So if you, the more you can focus. So if you have to do it as a side hustle, think about some things you can give up. Then you say no to a lot of things because you can say, I'm going to do this podcast thing and I'm going to deliver every Friday morning, every, every day or every week for this entire year and just focus on being amazing at that and then doing all the things. And if you free up that time, then you'll understand that the content is just one thing. Most of the job is promotion. Most of the job is marketing and promotion. You can create all the content in the world, but if you don't do all the other things to get it out there and all the partnerships, nobody's going to hear it. So have you, why are you spending time on it? So that's where you need to free up your time. Yeah, I love it. Um, one of the other things you've mentioned today that I'm super interested in lately, I think for me, the reason I was excited to talk to you about this today is in killing marketing, you're, you're so generous to like, tell people how the content marketing instant worked and how much you charged for this and what got that. And how, like, I, I thought it was like such a gift to the rest of us trying to figure that world out to, to get like a cheat code. But you talk about how the event business was your number one earner. For people who don't recognize the power of events, what would you say? A lot of people believe that we don't need to meet in person anymore. And that's fine. I mean, we've seen the, the ups and downs with remote work. Uh, but what I've learned in most industries, and I would say the sheer majority, people still need to get together. Human beings still need to get together. And what's created an opportunity in the last couple of years is you've seen a lot of events shut their doors and not reopen from 2020 to 2021 and even into 2022. So that's left an opening in almost every industry for a live event. Now, I'm not saying that live events are easy. I know you're doing your thing in live events. I've been in the events industry for 15 years. They are complicated. But if you have an audience, if you've built a loyal audience, there's probably a good chunk of those people that want the networking and the education. And what you have to remember about events is, you, of course, you have the conference portion. You have an educational portion. Number one reason why people go is networking and is not even close. They want to meet people like them struggling with the same issues and talk to them so they can all, we can all help each other. So that's the power. You can't get that online. You can't get that on Zoom. You can get on a million Zoom calls and I've been on a million of them and you just don't have that one-on-one -on -one feeling that you can get talking to somebody in an event, meeting them and shaking their hand and saying, wow, we're in this together. From an economic standpoint, once you get to a certain, like, so let's say, you know, to, to pull off your event, and the speaker costs, and then getting into the AV and the cost of the space, it's going to cost you 100000 200000 or something for a small event. Really, I mean, you can, you can do workshops and things for very cheap, for 5000 10000 I'm talking about a full-scale industry event. You're going to need six figures to make that go. Once you get to that point of break-even and you get over that, it's very lucrative. Very, and so you, so you can make money really quickly. So 40%, 50% margin on an event is absolutely feasible. Once you get by that 100,000, 150,000 level, you start bringing in sponsors. So for Content Marketing World, which is our big event for Content uh, Marketing Institute, we were 70-30 from a revenue standpoint. 70% of our revenue came from registrations, anywhere from 895 to 1500 bucks or whatever the case is. And 30% came from sponsorships. Right now, with the Creator Economy Expo, it's a little bit different. It's about 50-50, 50%. So you can figure that out and how that works for you. But here's the thing. If you are an entrepreneur and you want to create an asset and then sell that asset, basically an event will sell in general, a growing event will sell for eight to 10 times 
earnings. So if you are earning, let's say $500,000 on an event, you know, you've got yourself a $5 million property that you could sell if you wish to do that. And somebody will buy that. You're saying net, not gross. Uh, that would be net. That would be net. Now, you, and if you're just looking at gross and you just want to do a revenue, you, you, could, you probably could, get, if it's a growing event, you could get 2x on a revenue standpoint. But I really, most media companies look at it on a profitability standpoint. So if you look at what we were doing for uh, Content Marketing Institute, we sold at about a 10 to 12 time EBITDA. Generally, um, events, subscriptions, anything recurring, any, any kind of business that's recurring, a subscription business is fantastic. Media companies will spend a little bit more for than, let's say, a pure advertising or sponsorship business. So if you have a podcast, you have regular sponsorships and you want to sell it, that's great. And eh, may only get you three to five times, which well, by the way, it's fine. No problem. But it's that recurring revenue. I don't have to sell it all the time. You know that you get a good chunk of people that go to events year to year. So I love events. So even though we did all the things, I mean, CMI, when we sold was a $10 million business, 6 million of that was through the event. And, but the, but the multiples all count as the whole thing was event dollars, which was great. And most media companies will spend that for it. Um, so I really appreciated that. And probably one of the reasons why we got back into events again, because you don't have the comp. I mean, everybody has a membership group. Everybody has a podcast. Anybody can launch these things. Not a lot of people are going to do the event and that's special. And almost every media property out there has a bolt on event for any, if they got a newsletter, if you look at whether it's uh, New York times or whether it's like Huffington post or it's uh, the drum, they, all these companies, they all have an audience that they target with a newsletter or a website, and then a bolt on event that goes along with it. So if you're looking strategically, you could be the one that creates that event and then they could be the one that purchases from you. Yeah. Wall Street Journal Live, right? All the, so many. Absolutely. Yeah. And a, and a lot of these media companies, they don't want, they want something that's already, somebody's already done the hard work. Like you can do the hard work and get that up and running and then package that. And somebody would be, love to take that off your hands. What's a, what's a secret? What's a principle that having done it for so many years that you feel like people from the outside or beginners maybe don't recognize? Man, there's so, there, the one that comes to mind is what you have going for you is that you will keep going and be consistent and not give up. That, that's probably, I, I, since 2007, I started with a group of entrepreneurs and talked to a lot of my friends that did a lot of the same things that I did. By 2009, I was pretty much the only one still doing it. Still wasn't successful then. They'd all given up and gone back to work and whatever. Well, by 2010, we were a million dollar company and it happened that fast. So what's the difference? I'm not any more talented than anybody else. I don't have any more expertise than anyone else. The only difference is, is that we kept going. So that's it. If you want to do this, you, and that's why a lot of people don't want to run their own businesses. They don't want to be entrepreneurs. It's, it's, it's that grit and that force and that push through when you know that you feel you're going to feel like a failure every day for three years. I mean, it just, and even when you're successful, you're going to feel like a failure. It's just part of it. It's like, I'm not doing something right. And you wake yourself up in the middle of the night and say, I can't believe it. What's not working? Why aren't people coming to the event or whatever the question is? So I think that's the, that's the number one thing. So whatever your thing is, whether it's posting on LinkedIn or doing the podcast or the email newsletter or whatever, show up. It's super simple. It's, and that's been for hundreds of years, right? That's been the entrepreneurial success. You just show up. You're there when nobody else is. And so now you're seeing this whole thing happen again. We're in 
a re- I don't know if we're in a recession, but we're in a recessionary environment, it certainly seems. So what happens during a recessionary environment? You have a lot of people that go out of business. Best time to be an entrepreneur is right now. I mean, we've seen it happen before with all sorts of companies. Intel comes to mind, right? Launched during the middle of a, a recession. These things, this is such a great opportunity to launch a business because so many people are battening down the hatches. Content Marketing Institute was created basically 2008, 2009 recession. When uh, there's no reason we should have created the largest event in the content marketing space. Why did it happen? Because everyone else was basically, oh, we, we got to cut back and we got to hold. Well, you don't have to do that. You don't, and you don't have to spend a lot of money. You just have to have focus on being the expert in that area and keep delivering every day. So I think that's, that's the key. I wish it was something magical, Joss, but it's not, it's not, this is every day. You've just got to do, do the work. And then, and then along with that is, you know, for yourself, what's your, maybe we talked about this last time. What's your goal book? Like I have a goal book right here in front of me where I have, oh, what's my goals for this year? What's my long-term goals? What's the habits that goes along with those goals? Like right now, I just set myself a goal to run a marathon. A marathon I'm running, I haven't run one before. I'm running in April. What, what's a marathoner do? Marathoner runs at least four times a week in this type of four. Okay, great. That's what I'm going to do. I want to write a, another book in 2023. What's a writer do? <laughs> you know, those types of things. It's not rocket science, but then you just need reminders every day of, oh, I'm a writer today. I'm a writer, so I have to write today. What I have to write a thousand words or an hour a day or whatever. They just break it down into the goals and the smaller habits and you can accomplish anything. I love it. Such good advice. Thanks for spending so much time. This has been great. This is part three and then part four will happen next year or whenever you have me back on and always enjoy uh, talking with you and congratulations on all your success. Super proud of you. I mean, you did it, right? You're doing it right now. All the things that you said you were going to do because I think of what we just talked about because you just kept going, just kept doing your podcast. You just kept making it happen. And then you started seeing your opportunities when everybody else that was doing what you're doing. And the little thing on podcasts, 40% of all podcasts have two or less episodes. Think about that. What does that mean? A lot of people creating stuff and giving up really quickly. So it's an opportunity for everyone else. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Bye everybody.